was just saying earlier, uh, 50 years old now, and I've been in the ministry formally since like 96, and finally I get to the point where I'm going to try preaching through Job. It's a big book, way bigger than a guy like me, but um, God likes to use things that are not to shame the things that are. That's my hope. That's my whole theme verse there. So let me pray for help, though, before I jump into this. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that your spirit would be at work in this message, that you would help me to uh, preach only what's in the text and not what's in my mind or my opinion. And we pray, Lord, that as we sit under your text, that we would have hearts that are receptive, that we would be like uh, Samuel of old, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And we pray that your word would do its perfect work in our hearts, that you would purify our faith. And, oh, God, as you were with Job, purifying him through all those, that intense suffering, Lord, uh, may you purify our faith so that in the end, when you come, we will be found believing in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, putting all our trust and hope in him. Oh, God, speak to us, for we are listening. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last time on Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. You ever watch a show like that? And they got to recap the whole thing, or otherwise you're like disoriented. You're in the middle of this battle. You're like, what in the world is going on here? So I'm just going to do a real brief orientation. Thankfully, we've only done chapter one, right? If you came and we were on chapter 34, you'd be like, I'm mom, mommy, but we're not going to do that. Okay, so last time, chapter one, what we saw, and this is important to see as we go through the text here, we're going to walk right through it, is that the real question of the book of Job is not suffering. That's a shocker for me as I study the text. We're going to see, now, it is, you will learn about suffering, and there will be much about that even in this morning's sermon. But the real question of the book of Job is this. Does anyone fear God or serve him simply because of who he is, or do they serve him and fear him only because of what they get from him? That's, real, that's the question that after uh, God points out, Job, my servant Job, have you considered him? That's the question G, that that's the Satan brings up, isn't it? Mm-hmm. He brings up, does, does Job fear God for nothing? You put a hedge around him. You take good care of him. You feed him. That's why he, praise the Lord. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's good being a Christian. Carry my Bible around. Look at me. He says, but I'll tell you what. Take all that stuff away, and I'll have him cursing you to your face. He's a bought man. But as we saw last week, when Job was severely tested, he responded very surprisingly by blessing the name of the Lord, even in the midst of incredible suffering, loss, and pain. We see the Lord's power to save and create true worshipers by his grace is vindicated. It's awesome. Verse 23, we see this. In all this, of chapter 1, in all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. This is, you have to understand what's going on here. All heaven, the heavenly court is watching, and some folks on earth are watching to see what Job is going to do. And what happens? God, uh, Job gives God glory, even in his lo- loss, And even in his suffering, so uh, permit me this illustration, after round one of the 15 round, like the old days, a title heavyweight fight, 
It's God one, Satan none. I didn't have to ask for an amen. That was good this morning. That was good. <laughs> well, we pick it up in chapter 2 where we find yet another glimpse into the heavenly court. The only other one we're going to see in terms of seeing behind the scenes. Behind the curtain. And once again, we find the accuser. That's in the original Hebrew there. It's the accuser or the Satan because that's what Satan means. It means he goes around accusing the brethren. Look, God, look at this, you know, constantly blaming us. So we see once again, the angels come, they present themselves to the Lord, which again in the Hebrew there is Yahweh. It's the personal name for God, the Lord, not just the general Elohim. It's the Lord. It's the covenantal name. And they present themselves to the covenant God. And of course, Satan's there. And we see what, he, what God says, where you been? Satan gives his usual response, ah, roaming to and fro. And then God gets this opportunity to say, uh, hey. You consider my servant Job? Little <laughs> And then he gives these glowing terms. Once again, the third time in the book, and we're only in chapter 2, God says this. And you can see like a proud father, right, in a good sense. He says, there is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. But this time, God adds this, these incredible words since Job passed the first round of tests. He says this, and he still maintains his integrity even though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. But of course, that doesn't satisfy Satan, does it? Nope. Satan, you know, they always have another word. That's why, don't worry about witnessing. There's always going to be another, but, but, you know, mm. that's right. And, and he is the literally embodiment of wickedness here. Mm. So what does he say? Skin for skin. A man will give all he has for his own life, but stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he'll surely curse you to your face. In other words, Satan says this. All right, yeah, you took away all the external stuff. You took away, and it's all very painful, but touch his body. You know, start messing around with physical pain, and he's going to tap out. Uncle, that's it. I'm out. This is what, uh, the way that Klein, uh, one commentator, a Hebrew professor, explains it. He says, if God will let Satan touch not merely Job's possessions, but also his person, so that there will be no profit left in the religious deal, Job will weigh back and curse for curse. In other words, Job's got a good thing going. Let's ruin that and see where he is now. Then the Lord says to Satan, very well then, he's in your hands. Man, that's scary, ain't it? I'm, I'm like, Lord have mercy. <laughs> I don't want to be in his hands. I don't know that I, you know, woof. But such is the grace of God in the life of Job, isn't it? But I, I, I go a little ahead of myself. But he says, but God does say this, and this is very interesting, but you must spare his life. Remember from last time? You can go this far, devil, but you're not allowed to go no further. And he has to go. <laughs> and we go, I know that's right. Yeah, right. Hmm. We're going to see that the suffering will prove to be so severe in Job's life. We're going to see this more next week. That Job will wish he died. So we think it's, you know, don't, you can't take his life. And Job's like, really? <laughs> you know, I, I hate to say this, but I remember, um, you remember Aladdin? 
where he goes, yeah, but I thought genies can't die. He goes, yeah, but you'd be surprised what you could live through. Remember that? That's a joke, but this is serious. It's like, oh, great, I got to live through this. The dying part is easy. Sorry for that digression. But this is what we're going to see. We're going to see this morning. I'm in a mood today, so you better get ready. I'm, I, I don't know. These guys got me all excited, all pumped up from last night. Man, you, you guys are going to be saying, please don't let those guys come here no more. All right, so we're going to see three things. We're going to walk right through the text, and we're just going to walk through the story. We're going to see, first of all, the Lord initiates round two. In other words, God's the one who starts this whole thing again. Isn't that blaming the devil? Right? Secondly, we're going to see Satan does only what he's allowed to do. Glory. And then last of all, we're going to see Job makes it through. Job makes it through. All right, so let's take a look at this first thing. The Lord initiates uh, round two. Once again, with God the clear victor in round one, God's the one who brings up Satan's failure to get Job to curse him, and how despite all that Satan was allowed to do to him, the loss of his wealth, the loss of his servants, and every one of his ten beloved children, as the Lord put it, Job still maintains his integrity. That's amazing. And note, this is really carefully, notice what the Lord says to Satan. He says, he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. We've got to stop there a minute. As they often say nowadays, spoiler alert. If you don't want to know what happens the rest of the book, stop reading now. But you're cap- you can't go out now, so you've got to hear the spoiler alert. The spoiler alert here is that God comes right out and says that he was incited by Satan to ruin Job without any reason. In other words, Job didn't do anything to deserve what he was getting right now. God right here is acknowledging. It wasn't some secret sin. It wasn't like Job was hiding, doing something on the down low. He says, you incited me without any reason to go after my servant. So what's interesting, what you have to see here, is that it's not that God didn't have his own sovereign reasons for doing it. It's just that the reason wasn't Job's sin, right? Because as we see, God did have a purpose. He wanted to prove that his grace can save someone to the point that they will serve him and love him and honor him, not because of the material blessings and riches, but simply because of who he is and what he's done for him spiritually. And Messiah to come back then, and now Messiah arrived. And hallelujah, hallelujah. We look back knowing Christ. Poor Job could see through a glass really, really dim, Right? We get to see a little clearer. But what's interesting here is God is ultimately the one who sets the following events in motion. And that's one of the mysteries of the book, that the book doesn't fully explain to us how that can be, but it does bring it to to our attention. So in other words, every time I come to church here, i got to pass Sovereign Ave School. Well, right now, you in Sovereign School. Because you're going to learn about the sovereignty of God. Because no one can foil his plan. No one's going to stop what he wants to set in motion. He is in control of his universe. Even the devil can only do what he's permitted to do. That's the God we worship. 
We don't worship a God who's wringing his hands in heaven. Oh, I hope he picks up that Bible. Oh, he didn't. You know, that's not God. That's not the God of the Bible. That's the God of some people's puny imagination. Like, I love that one book. Your God is too small. Job's God isn't small. Job's God is incomprehensible. Trying to fit him in this pea brain. You know, people, there's this attitude, what my brain can't catch ain't no fish. My professor used to say that. The point is, I like to say, if God can fit in your puny brain, then he ain't God. He goes beyond our understanding. And we see in this book, that's the one thing that Job keeps racking his head about. God doesn't fit and his preconceived notions. So God is sovereign. He uses secondary means to accomplish his wise and holy will, even when it comes to the case of that foul fiend, the devil himself, and sinful people. God gives them permission to do what they desire according to their own evil nature. This is important. With malintent they have, but he will use that malintent to accomplish his good will. What he wills for the good of those that he loves and is called according to his purpose. Wow, what did that mean? That's heavy. I'll tell you what it means. You ever hear of a guy named Joseph in the Old Testament? If you're nodding off, maybe you remember him. I mean, let me tell you what. His brothers did him wrong. They, you know, and I, some of my friends were like, well, that's, that's, he, he shouldn't have bragged about his dreams. He wasn't bragging about his dreams. He was a little innocent kid, and since he comes up and he goes, hey, brothers, i got to tell you about this dream I had. And they hear the dream, they're like, he got to die. Us bowing down to him, we're killing him. So you remember what they did? They had that plane, they threw him in the, in the well, and they were hoping he was going to die, but the one, one brother was like feeling real guilty. I don't know why. And he's like, all right, maybe I'll, I'll, take a I'll make a plan so we can at least get him out, at least spare his life. Such a nice guy. He sells him into slavery. Oh, thanks for nothing, right? So we know what happens. He ends up going into Egypt. He ends up, long story short, he becomes second only to Pharaoh. And we were talking powerful, man, right? And then what happens is there's that great famine with his brothers and his family, and they come with their hat in hand to Egypt for help. And again, long story short, um, he, they didn't know he was his brother until at the end there's the big reveal. Like those movies, the big reveal, you know? There's a big reveal. And what does he tell them? They're all freaked out. And they're afraid for their lives. They think, oh, no. You know, he's going to take care of us. He's going to pay evil for evil. And Job says what? Do not fear. He says, for what you meant for evil, God meant for good. If there's anything that Job teaches this book, it teaches that even though it's, it, it, it's sometimes incomprehensible to us, evil, right? So we call it the mystery of evil. God, even though the devil means you harm. God means you good. Amen. Even sometimes when you're on an ash heap, scraping your sores with a piece of pottery. And those are supposed to be your friends. With friends like that, who needs enemies? And the bone of your bone, flesh of your flesh is telling you, curse God already and get this thing over with. No, for our Heavenly Father, it's important for us to trust him. And the whole challenge of the book of Job is that we would not curse him when we don't understand the suffering. But we would bow our heads in worship. And that corny song does put it right, even though it's corny. When you can't see his hand, 
Trust his heart. So God initiates round two. The second thing we're going to see here is that Satan does what he's allowed to do. All he need, as soon as he got that permission, notice what he does. He takes a beeline, right? He ain't messing. This ain't no game. Verse 7. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. And I thought camping was bad. You know, like where you don't have a bathroom and stuff. But Satan doesn't, doesn't hesitate, man. He starts his dastardly work of destruction in Job's life right away in an attempt to incite him to curse God to his face. He strikes Job, if you notice in the text, with these, these extremely painful and uncomfortable, I don't mean like you're in bed and you're a little uncomfortable. I mean like where you can't get in one spot where you find a little no pain. You ever been in that situation where, like, no matter what you do, like, I, don't, I had stomach aches before where I'm like, I don't know, I could hang from the ceiling, but this pain ain't moving. Well, he was in a situation where this pain would not go away so bad he has these open, that he's scraping himself. Imagine that. Wow. With open sores. Just to get a moment's relief. And now, now c- comes for the pause in, in our message that I want us to slow down for a second because I tend to get way ahead of myself. But we're going to stop a second. We're going to take this in. Drink this in. In one day, look, think about this for a minute. In one day, he lost everything. His 401k, whatever that thing is, you know. He, he, lost his fa- he lost all of his children, his dear loved children, his grown children. It's hard losing an infant or, or when they're born, but it's super hard. But, man, it's even harder when you've had time with them. You with me? Absolutely devastating. And I want to tell you this quick story. Um, one of the things I ask Dave, is, I always ask Dave every, every now and then, I say, critique my sermons, help me get a little better. What do I do, Roman? And the one thing he said is the rule I'm going to break right now. He goes, man, you talk about Italy too much. But listen, this is what, this is what I'm going to do. I'm not talking about Italy today. I'm going to talk about Sicily. Because after all, my dad says I'm only half Italian. I'm half Sicilian. All right, so. I, no, listen, this is, this is good. This is totally relates to Job, though. This ain't just a fun story. Um, it's actually very sad. Um, you know I do, my, my church family here knows, I've been doing a lot of research on my family history because I'm always fascinated where we come from. And I always wanted to go to my great-grandfather, my great-great-grandpa. I want to find out where. And, and in this one town, man, they're like still from that town. Hundreds and hundreds of years, there's still this one little town, right? And so I'm looking for Horacio Miguela Galesi. I'm looking for his dad's name. But this is what happened. So I'm at the Comune. It's like the town hall. I'm studying about, you know, trying to find his parents' names. This would be my, my grandma's grandpa. And what I found instead was something super sad and tragic. I found that he had a wife and a family before my great-great-grandma. And I found he had nine kids. And I found only one of them lived to be an adult. Stop for a minute and think about this. Eight of his children he buried in the ground. 
Not to mention, only a few of them died in infancy. A lot of them died at 12, 13. Listen, can you imagine looking around the house, so to speak, and seeing these reminders, maybe a hair beret, Brett? Your daughter's not there anymore. Or maybe you think what my son would have been if he had made it. But you think about that, eight of them. That's a sad story. And when I read this story, I was thinking if I could only talk to that man, what kind of stories he could have told, amen? Now, in his story, I'm going to jump ahead of this. He's almost a little Jobish in that then, then he married my, then his, his um, wife died, which in Job's case, maybe he would have kind of not been too upset about that. We'll talk about that in a minute. But then he, he married another woman who he had nine kids with, and eight of them lived into adulthood, just the opposite, and only one died. But listen, when I tell that story, you know what some people say to me? They say, well, in those days, that was normal. Is that supposed to, like, console me? Do you think in the days he lived, somebody, I, probably were like Job's counselors, like, oh, brother, you know, that happens to all the people. You know, it's like, that doesn't help me. It doesn't bring me any comfort. You know, like Job's comforters in a little while, they're going to sit and keep their mouths shut for seven days. And some commentators say, oh, they should have said something. Listen, they were ahead of the game when they kept their mouths shut. Because as soon as they opened it up, Job was ready to shoot somebody. Which, by the way, I'm ahead of myself, but let me tell you this. Somebody's deeply suffering. What they need is what we call the ministry of your presence. Sometimes you just keep this little thing. Zip it. Or as Tom Newport said, snap it, big boy. He meant zip it, but we always tease him about that. Sometimes it's good to say nothing, but let people know, hey, I, and then the other thing, I know how you feel. No, you don't. Imagine somebody coming to Job. I know how you feel. I don't think so. So Job, Job's suffering was very serious. It was very hard. And then, of course, on top of that, now he's got to deal with the physical pain. But it, to add insult to injury, the wife that was spared says this to him in verse 9. Are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. Now, now here's the thing I want, I want you to see. This comes from the text. Where have we heard this before? In the text. Who talked about cursing God before? You remember the character? Satan. Wasn't it? He's the one who keeps saying, I'll have him curse you. I'll have him curse you. So what I want you to see here in this text is that Satan is up to one of his old tactics, an old trick, and you know what that trick is. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. What was the first thing he did to get at Adam? Went right to his wife. I'll tell you, no one can do more damage, spiritual damage, in, in your life than a spouse. And it's not that women are particularly more evil because there's plenty of examples where guys do it to their wives. Even in the Bible. You got when, when King David comes for some refreshment and that one guy, his name means fool, wouldn't help David out and his wife had to go like around his back in order to minister to David so that David wouldn't like take his head. You get what I'm saying? Sometimes it ain't the woman, sometimes it's the man. But the point is, 
Who better to try to pull you away from God than bone of your bone and flesh of your flesh? This is a, he only has one, one, one rule book, one book, plan book here. But it works too often, doesn't it? I mean, this is 2017. He's still destroying families. You think he tries something new, maybe be a little more creative, but unfortunately it keeps working. The devil uses even our loved ones. And he uses, and, and literally, Satan literally speaks through her. This is the, the one time there's the frontal assault. There's no innuendo. There's no implication. It's just curse God and die. Put us both out of our misery. I do want to be fair to her. She was like honored in the town square because Job was like, everybody loved Job. Job was a righteous man. When, whenever he walked in town, he would talk about how everybody would receive him and he was honored. Well, guess what? She's not honored anymore, is she? Because what they believed in those days, listen, this is important because this is the whole problem of Job. What they believed is if you're righteous, God will bless you. And he'll give you all kinds of stuff. But if you're going through rough times and lean times and you're poor, you know what that means? You're a sinner. You're wicked. And so everybody's going, ooh, you heard about that, Job? Yeah, he must have done something real bad. So now she's got no money. She's lost her kids. She's lost her standing in the community. And her husband is sitting in an ash heap, <laughs> scraping wounds. And I tell you, brothers and sisters, those are the moments that we got to stop and we got to seek Jesus. And we got to beg for his mercy that we're not, in our bitterness, a stumbling block to our loved ones. Remember, there was a time in the New Testament when somebody else was the mouthpiece to Satan. You remember that? Jesus was talking about how he had to go and die on the suffer and die on the cross. And beloved Peter wasn't a particularly wicked guy, he was a follower of Jesus. He le as a matter of fact, he left everything to follow him. So he takes Jesus aside and goes, no, 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 Lord, that's not true. You're not going to die. And what, is, what does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. For you don't have in your mind the things of God. You got in your mind the things of man. Test number one for Job, the loss of his children and his wealth. Test number two, the loss of his health. Test number three, three the counsel of his wife. Yeah. And then test number four, the counsel of his friends. We'll save that for next time. How many a husband struggling not to give in to temptation and throw in the towel instead of finding encouragement to continue to trust God in their suffering and walk with him by faith even in the valley of the shadow of death find that their helper is no helper at all but a stumbling block. And how many wives trying to trust God and live for his glory are married to this, I want to say the adjectives I want to say. <laughs> we're, going to keep this, we're going to keep this rated G. But no, I, I do anyway usually. I'm just messing. But how many have to deal with husbands who are spiritually dull at best trying to pull their wives away from Jesus. Right. 
We're going to see this third thing. I want to close with it, our last point, rather. And that's that despite all this, here's the interesting thing. Despite all this, Job makes it through. Look at verse 10. He replied, and I want, this is a careful, you've got to read what he actually says. You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? Now notice, even in his, this, this suffering, right? He doesn't call her names. He doesn't say any nasty. All he says is you're talking like a foolish woman. He says, now, now you're not talking like a child of God right now. You're not talking like a follower of Yahweh. You're talking like a foolish woman. That's the way foolish women talk. And why do they talk like that? Because they don't realize, shall we not accept trouble from the Lord as well as good? Now I'm going to preach. He went from being the poster child of health and wealth, you know that theology, to the epitome of poverty and sickness. People held him in high esteem when he seemed to be an example of what living by faith will lead to in this life. He would have been good for those guys on TV, right? Live like Joe, you know, live holy and look what you're going to get. Ten kids, huge mansion, 500 camels. Two, well, we don't want camels today, but you got it. Maybe a Mercedes, maybe some gold rings. But listen, here's the book of Job. What happens when your faith in God leads to a nightmare of an experience. Because Job trusted in Yahweh, this disaster happened. You think we get a lot of people in our church if I publish that out there? Come to Jesus and you will suffer. <laughs> if you come to Christ, you're going to lose everything. Actually, Jesus kind of said that, didn't he? But I won't even go there. So Job's life would ruin the health and wealth campaign. His experience was a glaring contradiction of such a so-called so -called gospel. I was slipping through the channels last night when I was waiting for a brother, I won't point out, I won't say his name or nothing, who went to the boardwalk 12 o'clock at night and didn't come home for like an hour. I'm flipping through the channels like, man, am I going to have to go find this, this brother? But anyway, I'm flipping through, and I see, I see one of the channels, and it says, God wants you to be well. Oh, yeah? Tell that to Job. Apparently, he didn't get the memo. And I'll tell you, when I was young and I was in a situation where I was in this uh, workplace, a restaurant, I was a waiter at the time, and it was pretty horrible. I was literally the most persecuted I ever was in my life was that season of my life. And I had a boss who just literally was like trying to make me curse God because she wanted to prove there was no difference between the pre-conversion Santo, because she knew me before, and the post-conversion. So she did all kinds of stuff to try to humiliate me, try to get me to like blow up so she could say, see, it's the same old, same old. So I was really struggling with this. And I remembered one of my, I was brand new in the Lord, under a year of knowing Jesus. And I remember my buddy's dad was a pastor in this big church. So I went to visit him in his house. And I shared my struggles. Listen to what he told me. Listen, this is important. He goes, you're a child of God. God wouldn't want you to suffer. Just quit that job. He doesn't want people to suffer. No, but listen. That wasn't a word from God. God calls us sometimes to suffer. 
In that particular instance, listen, it's okay. I know what you're saying. Because listen, in that particular instance, I witnessed to more people in those two years in that job than I have probably the rest of my Christian life to this day. So God said, God said, son, I love you. I know it ain't easy. Get back there. Because I got people that I want to set free. And yeah, it might hurt you a little bit, but isn't their salvation worth it? There was more fruit in those years of me sticking it out, including that lady who, who uh, she would be you know, cussing me one minute, next minute, one o'clock in the morning, I get a phone call. Can you come to my house? I need some advice. Oh, you ain't calling your drinking buddies? Oh, you want that, that Christian guy, you're the born-again guy that's a fanatic? Oh, I didn't say any of that. I went to her house and I said, how can I help? I wouldn't have been able to do that if I moved on to greener pastures. That was from the pit. Sometimes, maybe there's a time that it's okay to leave. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying it's not just because it's suffering. That doesn't mean it's not God's will. Listen, ask Jesus when he was hanging on the cross, was that God's will? And he says, anyone who comes after me, what? Take up his cross, follow me. But of course, after the crucifixion, there's what? The resurrection. And someday there's going to be the crown. Now, Job, at this moment, I ain't telling him that <laughs> because he's going to be going through it. We're going to get into that um, next time and following for uh, quite a while. But let me tell you why this is dangerous, this health and wealth thing, too. I've seen those who are so desperate for healing, physical healing, or for prosperity because they were poor for so long, like so many of us, that when the equation that they were following Oh, read my Bible, pray, do what God says, and then I'll be blessed. When that didn't follow through, they did all those things, but their life was still a mess. They still had MS. You follow me? I've seen them curse God and leave God. Because they didn't have faith in Yahweh. They had faith in the gifts that Yahweh gives. That's why it's so insidious, so destructive, that teaching. It promises what God never promised. And when folks were, what happens, when, when the things that the folks have set their hopes on doesn't happen, they bitterly leave the faith, don't they? John Bunyan puts it this way in Pilgrim's Progress. You must own religion in her rags as well as in her silver slippers. And stand by her too when bound in irons as well as when she walks the streets with applause. Isn't that good? I like that. This is the remarkable thing about the true faith of Job. Yes, he complains to God. He argues his case to God for something like 30-something chapters after this. And in pain, in his pain, he says some pretty strong things to God and to his friends. But notice one thing. He brings it all where? To God. He doesn't run away from God. He runs to God. Even in his pain and his confusion and in his suffering, he wants God. And he's not going to be satisfied until he hears from God. Well, we know at the end, he gets to hear from God. And he, he does the whole, I put my hand over my mouth. I repent in dust and ashes. You know. But listen, this, I'm, I am totally finishing now. He professes his faith when he's rotten on the ash heap, as he did when he was feasting with his family. That was the, the victory. 
He praised him when he had the ten kids around and the wife was happy at that time. And now he's praising him on an ash heap. Cutting with, with nothing. Cutting his uh, wounds. So what I want you to see is this. God takes round two also. It's two nothing. But poor Job doesn't know. There's like 11 rounds where it's going to look like he's on the ropes before there's the knockout by Yahweh. And round 15, when it looks like there ain't no hope for Job, he never curses God. God will have the last word. Sean, do me this. Flip to the the beginning, the the uh, pre-prepare your hearts for worship. One more. There we go. I'm ending with this. In, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Brothers and sisters, that's what I want. I want God to be able to say to me, look at my grace. I hope he says that to you too. Let's pray. Father, we thank you not just for the gifts you give. Certainly we would be wrong not to thank you for them. But we thank you more than that. We thank you for you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for opening our eyes to our need, to our sin, to our need for Jesus. Creating the gift of faith through your word in our hearts. And Lord, we thank you for the finished work of Jesus, the Redeemer that Job will later talk about, that he knows his Redeemer lives. Well, we know it even more surely than he did. And we praise you that matter we're in rags or riches, you are God and you do all things well. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.